Welcome to today's episode of the Mr. E Podcast, where I'll be joined by Indianola Activities Director Lee Nelson. Lee was a 2004 graduate at North Kensett High School. He's going to talk about some of his experiences at North Kensett and a lot of the people that made an impact on the man he is today. Um, he's got some great memories and stories he's going to reflect on, as well as talking about his career aspirations, um, where he went after NK, and how those career opportunities have shaped into who he is today. So take the time to listen to Lee. He's got a great message for you. He does a really good job, and he actually has a podcast of his own, which he'll give a shout out to at the end. Hey, everybody. Today I'm with Lee Nelson, who's the athletic director at Indianola High School. How are you doing today, Lee? Great, Brennan. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, um, you're a Northwood Kensett graduate, so we thought it'd be really good to get you on the pod to talk about some of your experiences, things that you remember um, most from high school and kind of carry with you today. So um, before we get into that, um, how you been spending your time now that there's no school, no sporting events and all that good stuff? It's definitely freed up my time at night. I mean, a, a big part of my job is is being at different activities at night, and part of my job um, is the, the sport part, but then there's also the, the fine arts aspect of it too. So Mm -hmm. it's all encompassing. It's actually not an athletic director. It's an activities director. So there's just so many different things. And, you know, in a bigger school, you offer so many more activities, you offer so many different levels of those activities. So your nighttime is pretty, pretty booked, you know, and especially when you talk about the spring season, which we're in now, that would pretty much be a, a soccer match or a track meet every night of the week you you get your Wednesdays off generally and that's nice but you know in this time you know I've been able to be a little bit better dad and and husband and you know it's been nice to be around I think everyone's kind of maybe a little bit sick of being around the same people on that I don't think my kids dislike me but I think there's probably certain times of the day where they dislike me so for sure there's that balance of of being a a dad that's around all the time and and the one that's around too much so um, you know, it's been a challenge, but it's been fun. And, you know, it, professionally, you just got to keep doing the stuff that you're supposed to do at this time of year. I mean, we're still trying to schedule things for next year and, and put those things together. So uh, you can find things to do. And, and I think the, the biggest thing with this is you got to get into a routine and, and still do things that you normally do. And, and as a high school student, there'd be nothing worse than trying to sleep in till, till noon or, you know, whatever time they do and go to bed really late. I mean, that's just going to end up costing you when whenever we do transition back mm-hmm. to the the real world yeah i one of the things i've noticed as we're doing our distance learning and using a lot of i use google classroom to have them turn their stuff in and i would say probably a 75 percent of the assignments i get are turned in between 9 p.m and 1 a.m so obviously their sleep schedules have shifted a little bit and that routine is a big part of it um one thing that probably is a big difference from our students as they listen to you will be when they hear activities director, they think of Mr. Hartman, and he teaches half the day and does the activities director on top of that. And obviously, Northwood versus Indianola is a little different in terms of size and, like you said, the amount of activities that are offered to students. So we'll get into a little bit more of that later, uh, kind of what your schedule looks like. But let's start off with um, your career at Northwood. So as a Northwood grad, what were some of your favorite high school memories? You know, honestly, I love school even from, you know, from kindergarten on. And I would say the big part I loved is the social aspect of it. 
I, I was a pretty good student. I probably wasn't as good of a student as I could have been. Um, you get to that point where you got to kind of figure out how to balance everything. And, you know, when you, when you're involved in a lot of different things, like I was sometimes academics are the easy one to push into the back burner. So yeah, I probably could have done a little better job in, in that area, but I love to go into school every day. I love the interactions with, with the other kids and the teachers and, you know, playing sports was a big passion of mine, my entire life still get to do that, you know, kind of live through, uh, that life, you know, at, at this point in my career. And um, a lot of my great memories have to do with sports. And I, I look back at the coaches that I was able to have when I was at Northwood. And yeah, this, some of the ones that the, the kids would still know now, I mean, Cap, Hartman, Parks, Daryl, they're all people that are still around that um, I took a lot from when I was there. They each brought something a little different to the table. And I think the kids would understand that. But they all challenged me to to get better at at something different. I'm really appreciative for that. And, you know, I, I remember a time, and I don't know if Hartman will love me telling the story, but I was walking through the hallway when I was a sophomore, and I don't know what what it looks like now, but the coaches used to stand in the corner by the the boys' locker room, kind of that corner of the boys' mm-hmm. locker room and the gym, and that's where they would congregate in the morning. And I remember. Hartman uh, says to me one time, it was around Christmas time, and he said, Lee, would you ask for, for Christmas this year, some athletic legs? And man, that really cut pretty deep to, to me. But, um, you know, the, those guys, I, mean, I think what I really appreciated about them is they allowed me to be myself. Mm-hmm. And I maybe was wired a little differently in the, the athletic realm. I was, I was pretty intense about things and I'm sure there were some teammates that were like oh great here comes Lee again you know when we're going through some things and um you know but they allowed me to be my own self and I, I'm really appreciative of that and uh, teacher wise so Mr. Smith who would have been the Mr. Elkey when I was in high school I think just my senior year was when he was there uh he really elevated my interest in the the business realm and um he was he was an awesome person to have in that, that role. And I think he left shortly after I graduated. And I know he ended up at NIAC at some point. And I don't know exactly what he's doing now. I actually haven't talked to him in a really long time, but you know, one of my favorite teachers that the kids would know as their principal is Mr. Fritz. So Mr. Fritz would have been my sophomore English teacher. And, you know, I have a couple funny stories with him that, um, another guy that allowed me to be myself, which I'm, you know, like I said, I'm really appreciative when people are like that. And Mr. Fritz's assignment was always a seven page paper that we had to write as, as sophomores. And I was a big unsolved mysteries fan when I was a kid. And this is Robert Stack unsolved mysteries for those kids that are, are going to go back and check it out. Make sure you get the old unsolved mysteries they are way better. Uh, but one of my favorite stories was the Chupacabra, which was the goat sucker. And I have no idea if it was real, but it was a story that just fascinated me. So I told Mr. Fritz that I was going to write this paper on the Chupacabra. And he was cool with it. He's like, hey, make sure you get some credible sources, you know. (laughs) um, So I started going through and I got, I am exhausted with my resources and I am a page short. And honestly, I just started digging through the, um, the internet and I find this 
Chupacabra song that I just copied and pasted as my seventh page. Um, I don't think I probably got the best grade that I could have on that one, but uh, he did allow me to do it, and he did kind of laugh about it. And, <laughs> and actually that year he talked me into going out for speech. And I had never done it, never even thought about doing it. But he said, hey, just come out and give it a try. Okay. So I decided that radio broadcasting was going to be what I would do my speech competition in. So basically when you go and do this at a speech competition, they give you a packet full of uh, stories that you can choose from. So I go through this, and, and you're basically cutting things out and creating your story. And um, this was post 9-11, you know, pretty close. That would have happened my sophomore mm-hmm. year. And so I chose some 9-11 stories and put them in there. And, and I went through my radio broadcast, and, and they give you some stories that you have to read, like the weather. That, that will come into the story later, but uh, the weather was given to you. So I go through my radio broadcast, and basically you're sitting in a room by yourself. You go through it read it, and then you come out and you get scored. And when I came out, Mr. Fritz was sitting in the room, and they judge you in front of everybody. And this judge tells me that, you know, hey, great job. You had a great voice. It sounded really good. But, you know, there was a story in there that wasn't accurate. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like I knew which one he was talking about. It was about this reporter that was missing, and he had actually just been found dead right before this, but I still went with it because it was in the packet. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, you know, that reporter, that, that story is not accurate. And I looked at that judge and I said, well, is it 32 degrees outside today? And Mr. Fritz went straight head in hands. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but at the same time, like there's again, where he allowed me to be myself. And, um, that was, that was pretty cool. And then, and then lastly, I mean, I, I think every kid would probably say this, but I love taking Mr. Cotter's classes. And, um, he is still a really good friend of mine uh, today. And I think that's what you get out of Northwood is the people. And, mm-hmm. and you remember those certain things, but it really doesn't matter what the story is. It really matters what the the people are like and, and mm-hmm. how they treat you. And that's the, the thing I'll take away from, from NK for the rest of my life. Yeah, for sure. I know um, growing up in St. Ansgar, 10 miles down the road, 15 miles down the road from Northwood, I, I knew who a lot of the coaches were just from my experiences there. And um, I, I know like I, a story with Mr. Hartman when I was in high school, it was actually a JV football game. One of our players did something kind of dirty and he like got after him a little bit saying, you don't do that stuff. You're going to be tossed out of the game whatnot. So that was my only experience basically with Mr. Hartman. And the summer before I started teaching, we had like a CTE meeting at Nyack and all the teachers there. And so I, I knew who they were, but I didn't know if they knew who I was. They, I hadn't interacted with them and Mr. Hartman came up to me and introduced himself. And I was just like thinking back in the back of my mind to when he was, um, getting after this friend of mine in high school. I'm like, Oh man, this guy, like, so I was a little intimidated, but they're great guys. And, um, very, very blessed to have the opportunity to to continue to work with them. Um, I know I'm right next door to Cap now. My room got shifted a couple of years ago, so it's nice to hang out in the halls with him. And I know obviously he's reaching kind of the end of his teaching career, so that's going to be a big change for me when some of these older teachers that you talked about um, making an impact on your life start to retire. It's really going to kind of change the dynamic of of how my, how my day looks. I know you said they stand around in the morning by the locker room. Now we actually there's a breakfast table right by the front door, so that's usually the best part of my day. We go out and hang out there and and catch up on the news each day. So, well, in Hartman, when when you're a high school kid, at least when I was, I'm pretty sure that guy was eight feet tall. Oh yeah, and about four hundred. Mm-hmm. And now that I see him, I'm like, 
I think I'm a little taller than <laughs> you. Asked him, he's shrinking a little bit. So yeah, well, that were there was just something about him that I mean, he's a pretty intimidating oh, guy. Yeah. I thought when he was humongous when I was a high schooler, he wasn't <laughs> that big anymore. For sure. So um, we'll get into what you did for college in a little bit, but what age did you decide? Like, okay. I, I kind of know what direction I want to go, maybe what career I'm interested in. Um, I know you, and you'll talk about this, played college sports as well, so that adds a wrinkle that a lot of people don't have into the equation. So just tell me more about your college decision. When did you make it? And yeah. So I made my decision, I think, in April of my senior year, and a lot of this had to do with what was going to happen athletically. Um, I I had a lot of different options both basketball wise and football wise and I kept those options open for as long as I could you know a lot of times in the recruiting process you they people get through their first choices and then there's the others left you know and just because you weren't somebody's first choice doesn't mean that it's not a good choice for you to make so I kind of went through that process and I did get some different you know, those, those scholarship opportunities, that five for four, Hey, come and pay your first year and and then we'll get you on scholarship. Mm -hmm. And and at the same time, like the money isn't the most important part. I mean, it's gotta be your fit and how you feel about a certain place that you go to. So from a recruiting standpoint, I took full advantage of anything I could. So I went to some basketball games at Drake. I went to some basketball games at UNI. I got to go to a football game at university of Iowa I knew that that level was probably above me. If they all got their first choices, that level was was above me. But I'm going to take advantage of those just for the experience part. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to go to a night game at, at Kinnick when they played Arizona State. Um, I got to bring a friend with, and I got tours of all the athletic facilities. And those types of things you don't forget. Like, you get to do those one time in your life. So I was going to take advantage of that. But when it came down to it, I loved Warburg for um, a lot of different reasons. And I think when I look back on it now, it ends up being for a lot of the same reasons that I'm really appreciative of, of NK. And, you know, the people are great. Uh, I got really familiar with the campus. I went to Snow Valley there when I was a kid. And, and you just get to know the people and the places a little bit better. So, you know, I kept my options open for as long as I could. And But at the end of the day, it comes down to where you feel most comfortable and where mm-hmm. you think you can make the biggest impact, you know, academically and athletically. Yeah, for sure. It makes a lot of sense, um, especially, like, as you talked about all the different factors that go in and, and really making a decision that's going to impact you the rest of your life. So you said Wartburg. What were the biggest adjustments you make or had to make both athletically and academically as you went into your first year at Wartburg? Y'all kind of echo Tom's thoughts on the last episode. The time management part is certainly the first thing that, that comes to mind for an athlete. And I think it re- you really notice it when you look at your friends that aren't athletes and they get done with the class and they take a nap. They get done with the class, they play video games, they get done with the class, they do something. Sounds they like want. me in, in college. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. But if I did that, when am I going to get my work done? You know, and I, it was a, a learning curve for me. My first year at or my first semester at Warburg, I think I had a 2.7 GPA. And at that point, it's like, you've got to do a better job. And, you know, you can't take that nap. You can't play video games. Like, you know you're going to have a practice or a game tonight. You're not going to do it when you get done. So you've got to find that time during the day um, to get it done. And 
and I worked on campus. I started out, you know, you, you talk about the lowest of the low. I, I was a dishwasher and that's what I did. And I was just trying to make some money. Now, at the same time, my very first job ever was a dishwasher at Signature. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I had, I felt like I was one of the more experienced dishwashers there, but, um, you know, it, it got so difficult because I had to be there at five thirty in the morning. So that got to be a pretty tiresome day when you're talking to wake up at five and, and go to bed at whatever time at night, whenever you get done. So I did end up switching jobs while I was there. I, um, I worked in, in food service for a while and then I went to, um, some maintenance stuff within our, our dorm. So it was a little easier on my schedule, but a lot of it comes down to, you know, you got to prioritize what's important. And if you prioritize the nap and you prioritize the video games, you're probably going to suffer in the classroom. And Mm -hmm. that's where I had to make the biggest adjustment. Yeah, for sure. And obviously every kid has that dream of, Oh, I'm going to play in the NBA someday. I'm going to be in the NFL. Once you get to a certain level, you realize, Hey, this is kind of a tool that's going to help me get through college maybe but once college is over it's it's the real world this this career and this education I'm taking away from college is going to be what I really use so definitely important to prioritize the sports aspect of it but realizing that clout the academic part is important too so what other experience did you have at Wartburg that kind of shaped you into the man you are today I think most college kids would probably describe similar in-class experiences that they have. I mean, I don't think it really matters where you go. I think the, the education is going to be pretty similar. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing that sets Warburg apart and the thing I would say that sets North of Kensington apart is the people that you have that become part of your life. And in North of being a smaller school and Warburg being a smaller college, you have so much more access to people and you realize how much people care about how you do. And that's something that I try to incorporate into anything I do. The, the relationship piece of, of life is so much more important than what you know and, and how you teach it or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, I don't think you realize that at the time. I think you think of when you have teachers that you have more access with, that they're trying to get, be on your case all the time, when really they're just trying to help you mm-hmm. get to wherever it is that you want to go. So I think as a, as a student, you don't really pick up on those things that people are trying to do for you. But then when you look back, you're pretty, pretty well off because you did have a lot of people in your life that, that cared about what you did. Um, you know, when, when I interview for our coaching positions, I ask very few questions about what they know about the sport. Mm-hmm. I want to know if they know how to deal with people. Because I, I don't think you could teach somebody how to deal with people. You can teach somebody how to to run this drill or run this offense or whatever it is, but you have a tough time finding people that you can sit down and say, all right, this is how you deal with kids, this is how you deal with parents. So being able to to build relationships with people, and I think that starts when you have the, the people in your life that are trying to build relationships with you, that you can carry that on, and that's going to be far more important than anything you do than – than how much you know about a certain topic or sport or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I, I can agree with that. Just in my teaching career, I think it's helped me so much being a coach at the same time as I've taught because I've gotten to develop those relationships with, with the student athletes on a whole different level than in the classroom. And I think that makes them maybe work a little harder in the classroom just because they they maybe see how much like time I spend with them, how much we really put into all that stuff. So obviously... Um, 
like you talked about with the the X's and O's versus the relationship building. One of my favorite things. I my first seven years, I coached or was assistant coach with Coach Love for girls basketball, and and probably my favorite thing about just being the assistant was like I got to do the X's and O's a lot more. He kind of dealt with any anything that popped up along the way, whether it was um, conflicts between the athletes, conflicts with parents. So obviously kind of not getting thrown to the wolves right away, so to speak, with that, but getting to develop that. But the people skills aspect, and I know I think it was a few pods ago I was talking to Derek Varner, and he said that, or we, we talked about how there were so many people we went through school knowing that, holy cow, this person can like talk their way through so many situations. And, and just being able to be confident in your communication skills is going to help you so much when it comes to interview time and, and really selling yourself, not only just being able to show what you know, but just who you are as a person. You touched on it with the, the coaching part. I think if, if anybody listens to this that doesn't understand what a head coach has to go through, it isn't just coaching mm-hmm. on Tuesday and Friday nights for a basketball coach. There's so much more that goes into it, and there's the public relations part, and there's the accountability part, and there's all those things while they're still trying to live their life. Yeah. So I think it's pretty easy uh, of a position to criticize. And I, I've, I've been a head coach and an assistant coach. Um, there are, are different challenges with, with each, but I would agree with you. The assistant part's kind of nice because you just get to kind of do your thing. Yep. And hopefully you realize as the assistant coach and everyone else that's a part of that program understands how much a head coach has to, mm-hmm. to do throughout a season. You know, when you get upset because they don't, run the right thing at the right time you have to understand there's there's a lot of other things that have gone into that decision Mm -hmm. it isn't just okay let's make the right decision or the wrong decision and we're going to choose the wrong one no coach does that there's so much more that goes into it than yeah not only that too but like even even the little things like trip tickets for games and um, sending in scores and putting stats on like there's just so many things other than the coaching aspect that that i like i i I knew but it's like whoa now that i'm actually experiencing it's holy cow there's so much such a time commitment and film and all that kind of stuff so definitely um one of the bigger careers that gets taken for granted and it's again really easy to complain and it's kind of kind of like um the officiating side of things. I, I haven't done much officiating in my life. The, the times I have are youth basketball tournaments, and, and we actually don't have any at Northwood, but I've helped out back at St. Anne's Some One of my buddies was running it, so I'm like, oh, hey, I'll help. So this last January, I believe it was, we were doing fifth grade basketball, and the parents that just bark and bark and bark over the stupidest things, it's like, I, I remember one instance, this fan, um, there, there was a a team that was a lot better than everybody else so obviously they they basically had everything in the bag and they had a kid that was about five inches taller than everybody and he was just dominating down low and I know for fifth grade basketball like all the rules like three seconds in the lane probably a huge one and he was in the lane for about six seconds and he wasn't just standing there he was trying to establish position and I finally called it and his I had to been his dad somebody right there in the lane uh, first time that's been called all day I'm like well he was in there for about eight seconds, so I figured it was probably worth it. He's like, well, usually they get about ten. I'm like, oh, man. Again, just parents that are, I don't know if, if delusional is the word or just, again, I think before you ever can um, – 
be allowed to go to a game. You should have to experience that officiating side of things. And it really, really puts a whole different perspective of the game. And I, I know I tried to take that into consideration when I coach too as well because again it's it's a small little detail and eventually and you know firsthand with the AD side of things um, we don't have a lot of officials these days and it goes a long way back to the parents. Well the problem is we have a ton of officials they all sit oh, in the stands. Exactly that's true. A ton of coaches they all sit up there too but then when the <laughs> The job's open. I can't get anybody to apply, and we're sitting there scrambling to find officials every every single uh-huh. night. So, yeah, it's. I, I agree. I, I wish everyone had to officiate. I wish everyone had to coach. I wish everyone had to to look at the things that those people deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, when you make one comment, you have to understand it isn't just one comment. Everybody is making that comment, yep. and that's something that they have to to put up with. And and you think that that doesn't bother people? You know, like. Those people, I know, you lose sleep over stuff like that when, mm-hmm. when people say things. And, and I know we try to, to block that stuff out, and that's a, a pretty important skill you know, as, as you go through life. But it's hard not to care about what people think. Mm-hmm. And when, when you're in that officiating situation or the coaching situation, it seems like it's just an easy target that people don't understand that they're still humans that are yeah. doing that, that yeah. are trying their best to, to give the kids a great experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the human element of everything is something that, again, you you can't block out feelings as much as you want to. And and something to really consider as, again, you students that listen to this, you grow up and become parents of your own and spectators of your own. Just really think about the action or the, the consequences of, of the things you do, not even just in sports, obviously, in everything you do. So you went to Wartburg. When you graduated Wartburg, what were your next steps? You know, I, I graduated with Warburg or at Warburg with a, a business administration degree with um, a double emphasis in management and sports management. And it was tough to get to that process. I, I said, you know, Mr. Smith really got me going in the business area. So my first year at Warburg, I was a I was an accounting major, uh, realized that that probably isn't the best job for me as somebody that wants to deal with people. Mm -hmm. Um, but I love the math part of it. I love that it made sense. I love that you either right or you're wrong. Uh, so that was what I started with my sophomore year. I went to, uh, finance and then my last two years, I I finished with a management and sports management degree. And then, um, my, in November of my senior year, I took a job with thrive at financial. I was going to sell insurance. And then they went through a leadership change in March, maybe, of my senior year. And I declined that job opportunity at that point. It just wasn't a good fit for me. So now I'm kind of scrambling. I don't really know what I want to do. Um, I took a couple other interviews. I actually interviewed with NSB um, later on in my senior year. And I think it was one of those jobs that if if I had to pick it, I could... I could see myself doing it. Um, and I, and I love, I love NSB. Uh, in fact, I still bank there, but it just, that job wasn't perfect for me. I could definitely see myself in the the company, but I didn't see myself in that job. So mm-hmm. at that point I'm, I've got nothing. So I called coach Cotter and I knew that he had worked basketball camps in the summer. And I'm like, I can, that at least is a bridge. It gives me some more time to figure out what I want to do. So I called him um, I got on board with the shoot basketball camp and I worked 
uh, camps that summer for 85 bucks a day. I was basically making nothing. By the time I ate, I really was making nothing. But the one thing I figured out is that's something I really like to do. So how do I coach? Well, I probably have to teach. Well, I have a business degree. That doesn't work perfectly. So I emailed you and I at one point. I never did hear back from them. And one day I was actually in Des Moines. I was working Drake's basketball camp and I was like, well, what if I emailed Drake? So I sent them an email and I heard back within the same day. And honestly, I went in the next, the next afternoon and I was already signed up for a couple different classes for the fall. So at that point, I've, I'm now committed to, to teaching. So I started at Drake in the fall of 2008 and I student taught at Des Moines Hoover in 2010. And then I graduated from Drake, um, in August of that year. And then I'm, I'm guessing we'll probably get into the, the finding a job part mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll let you lead into that. But that was kind of what happened with me. I, I went from business to, to teaching and coaching and, and that's kind of how it worked out. Yeah. So you said you student taught at Des Moines Hoover. I, I um, can add some stuff about the student teaching part of things. So uh, how big of an eye opener was that for you coming from Northwood, coming from Warburg in a smaller school to go to such a bigger and more diverse school to do your student teaching? I think the one thing you, you, you maybe miss if you've never been in a place is those kids are still the same kinds of kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have the same um, types of issues that all kids have. Now, there are some, some pretty extreme examples in a place like that where you know that a kid is probably uh, a little bit worse off than a normal kid. And, um, you, know, you probably see it a little bit more in a place like that. You know, it's not a, a really high-income area. And, and the Des Moines Public Schools, you know, there there are some pretty tough cases where, you know, kids, you know, do have a tough life at home. Uh, so it was, a, it was a big change. But, but when you talk about, again, dealing with people as opposed to what you are teaching, that makes that a lot easier to, to mm-hmm. get through. So you figure out what, what interests those kids, and it might not be what interests you, but okay, so how do you change your teaching to, to make that work? And, and my uh, cooperating teacher, her name was Judy Reno. She was an incredible cooperating teacher. She kind of let me have the classroom from the start. I know there's uh, you know supposed to be a certain process you go through to take over a classroom. She just kind of let me do whatever I felt comfortable with right away. So it wasn't that long where, of course, in her role, she's probably like, great, I don't have to teach anymore mm-hmm. today. I'll just let Lee do it. So I, I was really – I wasn't that taken back with you know what those kids were, were like because I was just trying to, to reach them whatever way I could. And, mm-hmm. and I knew that I knew how to deal with people. And I had to do it a little differently than maybe I was taught or what I grew up doing. Uh, but they're the, still the same kids. Yep, for sure. I know when I, like say you and I, they have a lot of different field experiences and stuff like that. We go through each year. And my sophomore year, right as I entered the College of Education, essentially, I had to go do a field experience at Waterloo West. And I was 19 years old at the time, so I'm a year older than some of these kids. And and when I say field experience, that level one is basically you're a fly on the wall, just kind of observing everything. And and that was definitely a big change for me, just not really having an active role in 
anything in the classroom. So just kind of observing that, holy cow, this like just walking on the halls of the schools, like this is way different than what I've ever been used to. So um, experience that I really enjoyed and appreciated and, and um, really kind of shown that I or showed me that I wanted to be in the education field. So you left um, your student teaching, you said in the spring of 2010, what steps did you take in the your first steps in the job hunt process essentially so i basically applied for every business education job that i could i i think i applied for 21 different positions now i also knew that some of these jobs that i was applying for i i probably had no chance of getting and i it kind of frustrated me where some of the people I went to school with say, Hey, I'm going to stay in the Des Moines area. And then they get a job, you know? And for me, I was like, I just want to get a job. So I just applied and I got a job and my first job interview was, and it's funny because my three interviews that I went through were all within about 40 miles of each other in the Western side of the state, which I had never really been to in my life. And my first job interview was at a school uh, called Westwood, which is in Sloan, Iowa. It's right on the uh, border, right off I-29. And I went there and I loved it. It was a, it was the absolute perfect job for me. And I interviewed really well. And I remember leaving it and I called my mom and I was like, I crushed it. Like I nailed this, this job interview. I'll get a job offer. You know, I, I thought I, I nailed it. And the next day I get a call and I didn't get the job. And I remember it just crushed me. Mm-hmm. It was it was basically the first time anyone said, no, you don't get this. Like, I don't care how hard you worked. I don't care about any of this other stuff that you've ever done. No. And and that was pretty tough for me to, to deal with. And then I got another call and I interviewed with uh, Charter Oak Ute, which I believe is now part of a different school, but I, I always like to get to a town uh, that I've never been to if I'm gonna I'm gonna apply there or, or interview there and just see what it's like. And as soon as I, I drove through Charter Oak, I was like, I, I don't see myself living here, but I'm here for the interview and and I went through it and I'm guessing that the superintendent had a pretty good idea uh, that I wasn't giving very good answers and I, my heart just wasn't in that job and and he called me and, you know, we offered to somebody else. And, and I, I was actually happy because I did say if I get offered this job, I can't take it. And um, a couple days later, I got a call from Whiting. And I was like, I, I honestly, I don't know if I even applied at Whiting. <laughs> and the, the guy said, yeah, you, I heard you interviewed at Westwood. It went really well. We got a recommendation from, from them, you know you want to come for an interview? And I said, I, I have to be honest. I don't even know where Whiting is. And he said, well, you actually take the same route that you took to Westwood. You just get to take the, the exit right before it. Okay, perfect. So I went and, and interviewed there and, um, they actually had a, had head basketball job open with it. And I was like, I think I could do it. And now if you ever go to Whiting and Charter Oak, you'd say, well, what is the difference between the two? I have no idea. But when I went to Whiting, I was like, I think I could live here. And, you know, Whiting is a town of, you know, six or 700 people. So when you say Northwood's a small town, I mean, this one's really small. And I, 
I think it was the next day, maybe it was two days later, called and, and offered me the job and I took it in a second. And um, I, I would just say that, you know, as you're going through the job hunt, you have to ask yourself a couple different questions. And I mean, the first question is, what do you want to do? Well, in this case, it's easy. I want to teach and coach. Okay. And the, and the next question would be, who does this decision affect? At that time, it was just me. And that does change as you get married, as you have kids. Um, it isn't just a, a me decision. It has to become an us decision, which, you know, does kind of throw some wrinkles into to things. And the third question is, does that, does the situation improve your life? You know, are you moving to something that is the, is something that you're like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do it. I don't see how I, I fit into this. So I think you have to ask yourself those those three questions, and obviously you got to go through the, the application process and the the interview process. And mm-hmm. and I would say, you know, there are times my my first job that I'm trying to get, I'm applying for everything because I'm not picky. But any job after that, you don't just apply because a job's open. You mm-hmm. apply because you see yourself going and taking that job. Now that could change it when you go there and maybe something isn't right or, or whatever it is. But if you don't have every intention of taking that job, there's no point to, to apply an interview for it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I know, um, you touched on a lot of different things about like your personal situation and stuff. And I, there's been a couple jobs around here that have opened up and if people reached out, Hey, come apply for this, this or this. I know there's been, uh, just a couple of schools in our conference and, and some maybe would be a, sh- a little shorter drive to work from where I live now. And, and at the end of the day, like kind of look at the situation I'm in and say, Hey, like the grass isn't always greener. And what reason would I be moving other than, Oh, maybe this place traditionally is a little better at this sport. Like is, at the end of the day, it's, it's high school sports. And is that a reason to completely leave a situation where you really enjoy and are very happy with? Do you ever consider applying for the Northwood opening when it was open in 2012? You know, I'm, I'm actually glad you, you asked that question because I did. And and I really thought about it hard. I believe it was after my first year at Whiting. The job is open. And, and of course, I am in western Iowa, four hours from Northwood. There's really nothing keeping me there Um well, and I, I could go get a job in Northwood. I'm closer to people that I know, people that I love. And, and I don't know exactly what it was, but I thought about it for, for a few days. And it, 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 it made me lose quite a bit of sleep, to be honest with you, because I just didn't know what to do. And I think that told me enough that that's not the right fit. Mm-hmm. And I would say I, I love my time. I loved my time at Northwood Kenson. I still love going back to Northwood. And I, I there's not a bad thing I could say about the school, but it just wasn't the right fit for me at the time. And I think some of that had to do with coaching. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was done wanting to be a head coach, and I didn't know or didn't think that was an opportunity that I would have right away. So so I did. I, I thought about it pretty hard. Um, I never did turn in my application. It's never really anything that I've, I've thought about again that, you know, I really regret it. I mean, certainly you think the what if game, you know, what if I would have done this and, and how does that change my life? But the times I start to to think that I'm going to be pretty unhappy. I don't have any control over, over that. Mm -hmm. I I like to concentrate and and control the things I can't control. So I I thought about it pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I was happy that you got it. I, well, I appreciate you I not applying because that, that <laughs> it, it fit a lot of my life goals at the moment, and I wanted to be close to home. And it was nice to be somewhere that wasn't home. It's a, it's a fresh start because at the end of the day, too, going back to like where you grew up and and working with your old teachers and coaches, that obviously it's hard to really truly maybe, especially initially as a young teacher, really like be yourself and, and be who you want to be because you're always going to be kind of, oh, man, what do they remember about me? And I know I actually a couple of teachers that I have worked with were my teachers in high school. And I, I, I uh, Mrs. Willard, um, she actually is the uh, math teacher and she was my algebra teacher my freshman year of high school and I my first year at Northside I'm like hey what do you remember about me in high school she's like well if I remember right you were you were pretty advanced in algebra and I laughed at her and I said well that's because at the time I took it with you as my second time taking the class I took it with the other (laughs) algebra teacher in eighth grade so it wasn't because I was actually really good at math but again um interesting to hear again the the important factors for you in in deciding a career and I think that's the same for everybody you you see and hear about people that are kind of job hoppers essentially they're they're and there's a lot of things we talk about in class besides just the pay of a job and all the benefits and with teaching a lot of the benefits are very similar um, when it comes to retirement when it comes to insurance and stuff like that so it might not be the the biggest factor but that personal fit um, is really important too so how has your job changed as you've evolved from like a classroom teacher to an AD? Is there, is there, are there aspects of the classroom teacher part you miss? I, I miss the kids on a daily basis. I love to have my own classroom. I love to stand outside of my door and, and talk to every kid as they walked in. Um, I, that's one part I don't necessarily have built into my job now. I do try to find my way into classrooms, to find my way into the hallways, to, to be able to have that interaction. I mean, that's the one thing that, that I said I, I really thought I saw in myself finding a job was to be able to build relationships with kids. And so I, that's, that's certainly a, a difference. I mean, you can't really replicate, you know, having your own classroom when you have your office that you know, really, if kids are going to stop in, and I hope it's uh, to say hi, but a lot of times if kids are stopping in, it's probably to tell me that they did something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's really, I don't want that to be the only interactions I have with kids. So I, I have to do it a little differently, but I definitely miss that part. I, I think the one thing that, that was kind of driving me out of teaching was because I was so relationship-based with how I taught, it really bothered me that they would try to tell me how I had to teach. I want you to try this strategy in your, in my, in your classroom. Well, have you ever been in my classroom? Like this strategy has absolutely no chance Mm -hmm. of working. Have you dealt with my kids and my subject matter and the, Hey, watch this video of these, uh, these kids learning this in that environment. But those kids are not like what, what I have. and And that's not how I want kids to be like in my classroom. So that was a big, Thing that, that made me think there's got to be something I can do something that I really like and to have that freedom you know just like when I talked about coaches and teachers before that kind of let you do your thing I think that's important with a job too they got to let you be yourself mm-hmm. 
in the job. And I think that's maybe the the biggest turnoff for me, but I definitely miss having kids in my classroom every single mm-hmm. day. Definitely. I know at Northwood, Mr. Fritz, you talked about earlier, he does a really, really nice job of letting us um, develop our curriculum and teaching style to whatever we feel is best for our students and really trusts us as professionals, which is nice and makes me appreciate that just district and situation I'm in even more. So, um, Let's see here. Continuing on, what are some – so I know obviously you, you talked about how a lot of the interactions you have with kids now maybe aren't what they were in the past. But whether it be in the past, whether it be now, what are some pieces of advice you give to students that you work with? Well, any kid that, that comes in and talks about something that, they, that they're thinking about or, or want to do, um, I just tell them to, to find something you're passionate about and figure out what it's going to take for you to get the most out of whatever that is. And, you know, because I deal with a lot of athletes, generally that boils down to starting in the, in the weight room. And, and that's, that's kind of a segue for me to discuss how important the weight room was in my life. You know, as, as a freshman in high school, I was six foot, 125 pounds. So I was tiny. And, and that year, um, there were three guys. It was Jim Hansen, Trevor Madsen, Sam Hansen. We're kind of doing this. It was, it was almost like a, a trial run of BFS. And they asked me to be a part of it. And I, first of all, I was thrilled that, that I was going to get to do some of these different things, but I was really just thrilled that somebody had asked me to be a part of it. So, um, we did those, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of weights and sack before they became what you did at Northwood. Mm-hmm. And then that next summer before my sophomore year is when we had the BFS people come in and put on an actual clinic of here's what this lift looks like. And here's what, you know, plyo boxes look like and these different types of things that, that we were doing. Um, you know, not that I ever became a, a freak athlete or, or anything like that, but if I don't do, what I did in the weight room for four years, I am nowhere close to being in the same position that I am now. Mm-hmm. And and the coaches that push it, and again, do you want to wake up at six o'clock in the morning every day and come in and do it? But but actually you do. At least I did. I love that was one of my favorite parts of the day. I love to go in there and do that. And that that probably meant that I was going to be able to find my way into the gym and be able to shoot you know, without having to try to, to carve out some time somewhere else, that would be a good transition for me. So it was awesome. I got to do that, the weight room part. And again, it was a struggle for me. I just wasn't very big and I wasn't very strong. And I think I got to the point where I was big enough and strong enough. I mean, you kind of max out your athletic ability at some point, but mm-hmm. really it's just being able to hang out with all the other people. And what a better way of, of developing some leadership skills and than getting somebody to get out of bed at six in the morning and say, Hey, you're coming with me to, to weightlifting. And all of a sudden the weight room is full and sack is full. And, and that was kind of the start. And I don't know what it looks like now, but you know, we lifted every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, we didn't lift during uh, football season on Fridays, but we did on Monday, Wednesday, we did sack on Tuesday, Thursday, but once football was over, even though we played basketball games on Friday, that we were in the weight room on Friday morning. So, um, you know, we just did it all year round and it just became a thing that was expected and and coincidentally we started to be better at a lot of things too mm-hmm, definitely obviously the the coaches push it for the success of their programs but at the same time too 
the the commitment to something develops habits that you're going to carry with you far beyond the the strength you build throughout your high school career. I know um, throwing or talking back with your experiences back to last podcast with Tom. Um, that was one kid that like we'd have a meet day for track and he's out lifting as hard as he possibly can. Like I literally the morning of the Drake relays his senior year when he's going into the meet as the favorite in all classes to win it. We're having to tell him, hey, no, you can't lift weights today. Like, trust me, this is gonna, this is going to be to your benefit to not lift for one day or two days before, just because your body needs a break at some point. But it becomes such a habit for you as you as you do it over and over again. And again, just just that commitment to something bigger than yourself, or more important to yourself. You talk about the camaraderie with teammates, and and those are the things that leave a lot, lot. Um, longer lasting impact maybe than like you like we say wins and losses or certain lessons in the classroom too so um we talked a lot about your experiences at nk and i know probably you've touched on the answer to this one quite a bit in the in the answers you've already given but if you could go back in time to high school lee what are some pieces of advice you would give him first one's easy you do not have all the answers um i'm i'm still pretty confident in what i do today and I think you have to be like if you're going to be good at things you have to have that certain level of confidence and when you go and approach a certain situation um, to, to get the most out of it that you can but I think I was a little bit more on the arrogant side when I was in high school like I'll just do whatever I do and I'm gonna I'm gonna make it work you know mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm gonna be better than somebody at this I'm gonna be better at somebody than that and and I think college is a pretty nice a uh, slice of humble pie for a lot of people because you aren't that cool. You aren't that good. You are just another person. And the universe has a pretty crazy way of bringing people back to earth. Mm-hmm. And I think it's still got to fit what you do, but you have to look back and understand that, okay, I don't have all the answers, but I can get the answers that I need if I do it the right way. You know, you can cheat, you can do those types of things, and it isn't the same thing. But you can still, you can be the person that has all the answers, but you don't just have them because you're smarter than somebody, because you're more athletic than somebody. Um, you know, that'd be the first thing, and probably first and foremost for me, that, you know, you you got to learn from other people and let them kind of shape how you think about things. Um, and then secondly, just being thankful for the people that you do have in your life. And I know I talked about this earlier, but I, I talked those teachers and those coaches that meant a lot in the development, not just of me as a, a student or an athlete or a student athlete, but, um, as a, as a, as a father, as a husband, as a, as an AD, as a teacher, whatever it is, like those people, uh, made me the person that I am today. It wasn't what I did. It was, it was part of what I took from them, but there's a lot of people that are, are trying to help. And I think the people that try to help when you're in high school, you think of it, you know, as I alluded to earlier, that they're the ones that are trying to just get on your case. Um, that's, that's not the case at all. I had the opportunity this past fall, um, our football team played, uh, at Mason city. So I made the trip. And then after I got, done in Mason city, I came to stay in North that I had dropped, um, our girls off with, with my mom. And so I drove back to, to Northwood, um, after that game. And I got the chance to sit down with the football coaching staff, uh, that night after they had played 
Don Bosco, which obviously if you were at the game, it did not go um, the way that they would have anticipated or wanted it to. But personally, it was just great for me to, to sit down with those guys and see them back in their element, what I remember them as. But it was, but it was even more fun to just be able to interact with them. How, how appreciative I maybe learned that I was of those guys and maybe didn't tell them at the time. I got to sit down and, and just kind of watch them do their thing, and that was really fun. Um, and I, I tweeted something about it afterwards, and I can't remember exactly what it was. But um, So this is kind of a paraphrase, but how lucky the kids are at Northwood Kensett to have people like that in their lives. And I've been around a lot of coaches in my life, and – I can tell you unequivocally that those guys are as good as it gets and not just from a coaching the sport standpoint, but just from developing people to be better students, to be better athletes, to be better humans. They are, they are top notch and I'm really thankful for them. And, and I probably didn't say it enough as a 17 or 18 year old, but something I definitely feel as I've gotten to this point in my career. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely, I agree 100% too that you take for granted a lot of things when you're that age. Like you said, you you think you know so much and you've got all the answers to life's questions. And and there's going to be a moment in time, whether it's a couple years down the road, five years down the road, 10 years, that you're going to look back and really appreciate those people that um, made such an impact in your life. And it might not be every single teacher you had or every single coach you had. And there's going to be a few that really stand out. But again, um, you'll appreciate your roots and where you came from and they are going to impact you um, in good ways and in some bad every, every step you take throughout your life. So um, with that being said, that's about all I got question wise. Um, hopefully we're able to get back to school one of these days. I know tomorrow it sounds like we're going to get some type of more information about at least what the future's going to hold. Um, for you, I'm sure you're in limbo a lot with, I'm, I'm guessing you guys, we host like, we were supposed to host before the season, or before the season got suspended, like five track meets this year. I'm guessing you're really busy with track season if it does happen. So hopefully we can get some answers to at least what's going to go on and get back in the classroom a little bit this year and get to compete. Um, what do you plan on doing the next few weeks as the weather gets a little nicer out? Well, I, I definitely want to get on the golf course, and that's – I mean, as long as it's safe, I mean, that's always the, the thing. I'm trying to do my part as much as I can mm-hmm. right now. I It kind of bothers me when, you know, some people do their part and other people yep. are like, I'll just kind of do whatever I want. The people that do whatever they want are going to make me have to sit in my house for <laughs> even longer than I want to. So mm-hmm. so golf is the the one thing. I think I might try to, to get out and fish a little bit too. I think they're just try, trying to find things that I can do, um, still do my part, still be safe. Um, but you know, we're, we're getting snow right now and there's snow on the ground and I don't think you guys are supposed to, <laughs> no, we're not. It's sunny out here, but it's not very warm. Unfortunately, I think you guys have some snow on the ground. Yep, we right do. Now. Uh, we really haven't had snow for a really long time. So I hope that doesn't, uh, push back the golf time, mm-hmm. you know, too far, but that's definitely, you know, one thing I really try to do. I don't do a good, good enough job of, of using my free time to do those things. You kind of feel like because you are so busy all the time that you have to go out and, and you know, be a, a good dad and be mm-hmm. a good husband. And, and you kind of leave, you know, yourself 
you know, at the bottom. I think that's one thing. Like you got to find a balance yep. of, of work and, and family, but then also to take care of yourself. And, and that's really tough right now. I think we're all trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing and, and how it looks, but you got to figure out whatever it is that's going to make you happy and get you through this time and know that at some point we're going to get back to normalcy. When is, when is that going to happen? I don't really know. But I think you just got to take care of yourself at this point, mm-hmm. too. And you got to remember that you're just as important as anything else that you're trying to do in your life. Definitely. Well, awesome. I appreciate you taking the time out to join me. I know um, you've got a podcast of your own. You want to give a little plug for that for anybody? Yeah, I'll, give a little, I'll give a little plug. Um, a buddy of mine and I started a podcast a, a few weeks ago. And really, it has a lot to do with the time uh, that we're in right now where we're trying to find ways to interact with people. And, and one of my biggest passions is golf and I actually played golf for one semester at Warburg. It was actually my last semester. <laughs> the golf coach asked me to play over spring break. And I was like, no, I'm done playing sports. I went and talked to the head basketball coach. He said, Lee, that's free golf and free food. Well, that's a pretty easy sell for a college kid. I guess I'll go ahead and play golf. So golf's always been a big passion of mine. I played it, um, at Northwood. I loved. Uh, I had Mr. Parks as as my golf coach, and that's a guy that I still get to play golf with uh, each summer in the CarQuest tournament. And you know, he's such a great guy, and really, you know, it was such a fun experience for me playing golf. So we kind of started started this podcast that we were talking a little bit of business and a little bit of golf um, at the same time. We try to have a good time with it, but you know, it's it's called the Two Putt Pod. Um, if you get a chance, check it out. We have, we have a pretty good time. If you're a video game player, we do talk some Tiger Woods, PGA tour golf, <laughs> uh, this, this past episode that we just released today. So yeah, check it out. Two putt podcast. It's been, it's been pretty fun. It's a nice getaway too. Nice. Well, take care. Um, wish nothing but the best to you and your family and hopefully we'll get back to school soon. Appreciate you having me. Thanks.